Hey, what's going on, my money-crazed lunatics? You hear that? That's the sound of money. And it smells pretty damn good, too. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I hope you enjoy the episode. This week, I collaborated with Ryan O'Connell, CFA charter holder, on the topic of ETFs and the passive investment approach. I kind of use this podcast interview with Ryan as kind of a way to lay a groundwork, lay a framework, if you will, for my episode that I'm going to be dropping on ETFs. Uh, The episode that I will be dropping is going to get into a little bit more details on some of the funds I specifically recommend and really diving into the economics and the fundamentals behind each one of those funds. But this podcast interview with Ryan is great. He discusses some of the ETFs that he uses, and he also really breaks down this idea of diversification that I really, really like, right? Because so often we think of diversification and concentration. We think of them as mutually exclusive. But as you learn in this podcast, it's, it certainly seems to be more of a, a spectrum, if you will. There's certain levels of diversification that an ETF has. You know, it diversifies across companies. So you're not exposed to company-specific risk. But as you'll hear in this podcast, we really dive into the great ability that these ETFs have to actually take on other types of risk, sector risk, country-specific risk, all these types of risks that you can be compensated for. ETFs provide and provide in a big way. And I think we were really trying to just strive to kind of address the misconceptions I hear oftentimes about ETFs, you know, how they're boring and how the returns can certainly lack other investment vehicles, but we're here to kind of debunk that, if you will. So I hope you enjoy the episode and let me know what you think of the approach. It's kind of long. I'm going to leave it raw and unedited just so you guys get the gist of what we're talking about and you can hear all the little nuanced conversations we have. So there's a lot of good stuff in here and I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks, guys. So what's been your experience in the investment world? Well, so I don't know if you looked into my background, but so I started, I got my uh, bachelor's in finance and economics uh, from University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. I graduated about a little over four years ago, and then I ended up making my way to Texas and got a master's in finance from Texas A&M. So nice. right out of school, I started working in finance um, and actually FP&A in particular, financial planning and analysis. Yep. And I was... Uh, Kind of, I was studying for my CFA exams, which you know is all is all. You're you're doing CFA right now too, right? Hey, I just uh, took level three uh, a couple oh, weeks ago. So yeah. nervous to get the results back, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, I'm a little nervous. So, were you part of the last ever um, in-person level three takers? I sure was. I was, you know, scheduled to take it in June. Yeah, um, and I was all ready for it, so I kind of lost the motivation. You know, when exam time came in December, I just didn't feel as prepared because it's hard to study for a year, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, man, that's the toughest part of the CFA is like, how do I, how do you study for the same thing for like six months or a year straight, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like it kind of drives you crazy also with anxiety of like, what if I study for this for six months and then I fail? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm hoping (laughs) to be done with it. Yeah, well, I wish you the best of luck in Thanks, getting man. those results. You'll, you'll save yourself another $300 by not having to take I, it. I hope so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but anyways, yeah, so I, I, I got the CFA charter. And so then I wanted to move out of FP&A. And I ultimately, like, found a home in treasury risk management. So yep. basically what I was doing there is the asset liability management. I'm sure you studied that for level three as well. Yep. So doing the, um, you know, interest rate risk, liquidity risk. And then I moved into, you know, quantitative market risk management. Gotcha. And and now I'm kind of, I'm doing this computer science degree through UPenn. So I'm kind of trying to find where computer science and finance interact and, you know. Yeah, that was me towards the end, you know, as well. You know, I picked up Python because it just became so important. Yeah, yeah. 
and it's really fun too like it's it's very interesting and it's so absolutely. useful i mean absolutely yeah it's 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 so useful so what uh you know do you uh invest on the side you know what does your portfolio consist of you know what are you <laughs> yeah. really invested in yeah so i i definitely invest on the side and i guess i practice what i preach because what i preach to everyone is that um, exchange traded funds or ETFs are really the way to go. Sure. So I guess I'll, we could just explain what that is right now. Yeah. I can explain. So um, actually on your last episode of your podcast, you explained, so maybe that's not. Yeah, some of it, but no, go ahead and, you know, get, give your perspective as well because you're yeah. just as qualified. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so exchange traded funds basically mimic, and index so like when you think about the s p 500 index it's the 500 um, largest publicly traded companies in the united states all their stocks contribute to how this index moves and an etf that's based on that index would basically have a company or an issuer that buys all these stocks themselves puts them all into one piece and then sells you basically this combination for an affordable price and they'll charge you like, I don't know, like 0.03% per year. Right. Yeah. Three basic. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Basically nothing. So, nothing. It, so you're basically eliminating all of the company specific risk. Yep. And for that privilege, you're only paying 0.03% or something that's negligible. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where I hear a lot of people, especially new investors, they're kind of, they stay away from them, right? Because they, mm -hmm. you know, they think it's too diversified. And you know, yeah. I keep hearing this on the internet, like uh, concentration builds wealth and diversification just protects it. What yeah. do you think about that? I don't, on the surface, that doesn't mm -hmm. sound right to me because, you know, <laughs> diversification is, is like a spectrum, right? Like ETFs are, you know, diversified, but they could be concentrated in a very volatile sector, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I guess, yeah, my opinion on that is I think a lot of people are looking for like kind of like a get get rich, like quick kind of idea. Like they're like, oh, Tesla, if I had just invested in Tesla, I would have, you know, made like a thousand percent return over a few years. And, yeah. And so everybody's like looking for that next Tesla, that next Amazon. Exactly. Yeah, but but kind of ignoring the fact that I don't know. There, for every Tesla or Amazon, there's like ten thousand other companies that didn't do that. And right, yeah. and and you know this because you're a math guy. It's like the survivorship mm -hmm. bias, right? Like you don't know. Mm -hmm. There's so many companies that are no longer listed anymore. Yeah, that we thought would have been the next Apple or Amazon. So it's like, oh um, yeah, you know, over, it's like, over and over and over. I mean, you yeah, might exactly. have bet your entire wealth on Facebook, or you could have bet your entire wealth on MySpace and or like you know. IBM, right? Look, yeah. look who bet on IBM, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also I think one thing you had just touched on, like is with ETFs, like there's this misconception that they're really boring and that um, there's no way that you can really achieve like big returns because you're just all in diversification, but right. there's so many ETFs out there where like, like you can really make big gambles, but you can make diversified big gambles. Right. Like, like what would be a really big gamble right now is like betting on the airline industry sure. or the oil industry because they're extremely volatile in the tank. Right. But like, let's say you wanted to buy or you wanted to invest in airlines. Well, yeah. you could just invest in like American stock or you could invest in the ETF uh, Jets, J-E-T-S, right. which has all of the airlines in it. And so... Absolutely. You're, you're taking far less risk and then you're also you're getting that exposure to the risky airline sector. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm really much more interested in like exposure to like sectors because mm -hmm. I don't like that company specific risk because there's so many things that can influence a stock price that's out of the company's control. You know, it, it's yeah. just, you're leaving it up to fate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, you know, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I know, so you probably uh, studied this in the CFA program, but the, uh, you know, the efficient market hypothesis that's so popular in finance right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think, you know, anybody who's watching this should probably go and just like look up like a three minute video on the efficient market hypothesis. But basically, it, I don't know, I think this is the most popular 
theory in finance right now that relates to diversification, but it's like when you um, buy only individual stocks, your expected return um, based on the amount of risk you're taking will actually be lower than if you were to buy like a portfolio of diversified stocks. Sure, over, especially over the long run too, right? Yes, because- Absolutely. When you only buy like a few stocks, you're, you're investing or you're exposed to company-specific risk that you're not yep. actually compensated for in yep. higher returns. And that is irrational to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but why do you think, uh, you know, what can you say to those new investors out there? What would you urge them to kind of get off that beaten path? Because, you know, time and time again, you know, I just, people will come up to me and they're like, Oh, what's the next hot stock? And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I dabble in it a little bit, but mm-hmm. like I have a portfolio and most of it's in ETFs. Like, you know, like yeah. you said, I like to practice what I preach, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I guess what I would say to those people is like, so it's a lot of people who are like on Robin hood and they bought like Apple and they bought Amazon and they bought, you know, whatever, like the big tech companies is. So, right. I would say, like, do you want to treat investments like you would treat fantasy football where you're, like, betting on your guys that are – it's just kind of fun and you like to check it? Or do you want to do it in the way that you're going to, I don't know, have the optimal or the highest expected return based on how much risk you're taking? Like, do you want to do it like you really care about that money or do you want to do it like have fun? Like, do you want to, like, bet on the companies that you like? Mm -hmm. And so if you want to – if you want to do it like I want the most money at the end of the day, then like I would argue that ETFs are probably for most people who aren't actively like um, analyzing company financial statements and this and uh, all that kind of stuff, that right. they're better off buying ETFs. And I also find like you know, just too many people ignore like this idea of building a portfolio. I just feel mm-hmm. like too many people out there just believe in this idea that you have to you know, go all or nothing in just like one or two stocks. It's like, no, you can have different strategies in your portfolio as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like a get rich quick kind of idea, kind of thinking. I say that all the time, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And there's so much content out there. You know, I just see, you know, these creators, you know, what they really do is they sell their training program, right? So Mm -hmm. they're not really making money off the market, but they're making money off new investors or wannabe traders you know yeah um, it's it's actually kind of dangerous right (laughs) because i i saw i uh met a friend we went out for dinner the other a while back and he had lost his job during the pandemic and i was asking him like you know what are you up to lately and he's like oh i'm a day trader now and i was like Really? Because like, you know, I have no background in finance or investment. Oh, it's or anything. easy, man. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, how did you like come up with your models that you're using? He's like, oh yeah, I watched a YouTube tutorial. And I'm yeah. thinking like how many people watch the same YouTube tutorial and like made the same model? I mean, the only way that you can win in day trading or individual stock investing, well, I guess I shouldn't say that, but day trading is that you need to have a model that does what nobody else is doing, right? Right. So it's, and you really got to take yeah. emotions out of it, which people can't do. And you really mm-hmm. have to stick to like a, a, a huge risk management model as well, right? So it's it's got to be based on statistics. It has to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. One thing I would argue or urge people to consider is that, so even like a lot of these traders or people that worked at hedge funds and whatnot, yeah. like it's estimated that between like 60% and 90% of actual professional investors will do worse than the index. Yeah. yeah. So you as a person who isn't putting in the same amount of time as them, how are you going to do better than all these professionals that are also or are actually failing? At this? Well, it's that self-attribution mm-hmm. bias, right? Everyone yeah. Everyone thinks they're better than they really are. And mm-hmm. I think, like I recognize pretty early on, I'm not that good, but you don't have to be that good, right? To, get oh, wealthy yeah. you know and that's the great mm-hmm. great thing about etfs and in that space um so mm-hmm. what you know i know you talked a little bit about brokerages and i know i was going to discuss this on my podcast what uh what brokerages do you recommend you know oh do you yeah. recommend robin hood i have my <laughs> opinions on it but what do you think no no so well i think i really like what robin hood did when it came yeah. into the industry because yeah. like before robin hood 
it was like everybody was charging five to ten dollars for like a single trade right yes absolutely which is just you know ridiculous for the amount of like you know computing power that it w- would actually be required at this time to mm-hmm. execute a trade so anyway so robin hood came in and then it forced all the big financial institutions to stop charging these rates or just yep. have free commissions so now I don't really see the point in using Robinhood because you're kind of you're using this company that um, I don't know probably the execution isn't as bad and the, or isn't as good as like Fidelity and some of these Absolutely. bigger brokerage houses. Mm-hmm. And then also I don't I don't know if you've seen this, but with Robinhood, I believe it's that if you if you buy a stock on Robinhood, uh, right. you don't actually technically own that. Or if you buy a security, they actually own it. Right, because they do the partials, so that kind yeah. of plays into how they. Um, allocate the partial shares and, and whatnot. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I don't really see the, at this point, why someone would go with Robinhood over like Fidelity, which is totally free commissions now. And you don't have to because the, I think the Robinhood app just is so sleek on the phone, you know, oh. I think because it was made for mobile and it's just easy, mm-hmm. you know, but to that point, like you said, like now all the big name, bro- you know, brick and mortar, you know, brokerages, they're all, pretty much zero commission. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of them are, um, you know, no minimum deposit, right? So you're taking care of there. And then with Robinhood, like you can only really trade domestic stocks and a few other asset classes, but you can't go international and you can't Mm -hmm. get bonds. Yeah. That's, that's, I didn't even, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like these big really limited. Yeah. Without the benefits that it used to have when it was the only one doing the free commission trades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which one do you use specifically? Oh, I've been, I've been using Fidelity for the last uh, like three and a half years ever since I really started investing and I don't have any plans on switching. How about Because you? you really want one that has the full suite of products as you build mm-hmm. your wealth and Robinhood, I just feel like you would outgrow really quick. Yeah, so you you said they don't have bond trading or Mm-mm. no fixed income? No fixed income and no international. So you couldn't go no international. Yeah. So you're limited on your ETF and other asset class exposure as well. Yeah, so that that's actually another thing that I would touch on is that like everybody or a lot of people that I know, like millennials who invest, you know, people who live in the United States, they put all of their money into United States stock or all of your money into United States companies in general. And if, yeah, like if you look at the world, about 50% of the wealth of all companies in the world is in the U S and the addition, the other 50% is spread throughout the world. And so you're actually taking like a lot of country specific risk when all of your money is in the U S like what happens if the U S gets into a big war or, you know, something else happens in the U S the U S tank, that maybe the rest of the world doesn't tank quite as much. Right. And then yeah. you're all in on this one country. And so that's, that's something that I, that I usually tell people is that I think people should split their, like at least have like 40% of their, um, their equities in their portfolio in international. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of great developing or developed markets even mm-hmm. for that. Right. And, no, I was reading historically, like Asian markets tend to rebound a little bit quicker than mm-hmm. the u.s markets when it comes to you know things like COVID or you know other crises like that so that was definitely you know, what do you what do you think about that oh yeah like if you look at the how the stock market performed over the like from march till now over the period of COVID, i think china was really the only country that i'm aware of that that the, they didn't even tank at all they just kind of kept going the whole time yeah so i luckily had uh you know, a, an ETF in my portfolio that was just all Chinese companies. So that thing, it helped offset the loss at that time of all right. these U.S. companies falling. You know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. So what yeah. the, what other ETFs do you personally invest in? Which ones, you know, would you put your stamp of approval for <laughs> kind of do their due diligence on? Yeah, absolutely. So it just, it just depends. Or Do you want to talk about domestic, like in the United States or outside of the United States. Let's, let's do domestic first. Cause I know most people are probably interested, like you said, in domestic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like the easiest place to start, like for anybody is with the S and P 500 ETF, yeah. which I've, I've always used um, IVV, 
it's IBD. uh it's like blackrock iShares you know okay s p 500 um and i think the reason that i went with that one over like the vanguard alternative is that it had it had the lowest expense ratio 0.03 percent and i think it also had the lowest like tracking error by how closely it tracked the index right so yeah that's why i don't know i usually tell people to start with s p 500 etf because it's, it's just like the it's just the basic one to go to right now is that one full replication or do they stratify sample how do they do it I think it's full replication. I mean, it's got a massive market cap to the point where, like, I don't think it would be too difficult for them to do a full replication. Right. Yeah. It's so big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but, but then there's also, like, I, I really like iShares a lot. So, like, another one that could be really good for people is it's called ITOT. And it's, it's basically the whole U.S. market. But it's not only like it, when you get an S&P 500 index, you only have the 500 largest companies. Right. The, oh, it's the total U.S. market. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So so that one might be like, I don't know, like 70% large companies like yeah. or 20% uh, mid-sized companies and 10% small cap, like actual representation of gotcha. the U.S. Market. Yeah, I know. I do a lot of Vanguard. So the equivalent mm-hmm. of that is VTI, I believe. That's okay. the total U.S. market. So yeah, great one as well. Yeah, yeah. I feel like iShares and Vanguard pretty much are like the two top issuers right now. And they all they have a competing ETF for pretty much every type of yeah, ETF much you could imagine. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Are there so any, what about mutual oh, funds? Do you look into mutual funds at all or what do you think of the fee structure? I tend to stay away from them because they're they tend to be a little bit more costly. But mm-hmm. I do know a lot of them have that active management piece. So there's certainly like I guess more of an active return potential but you know what do you think about that yeah so with with mutual funds i've always generally stayed away from them because of the fees being higher but yeah. i i've actually invested way higher in, yeah way higher right <laughs> but one thing that i've found with mutual funds is like fidelity in particular and i think this might apply to some other big financial institutions but they issued two mutual funds that are zero fee so i think I mean, think of it like a McChicken at McDonald's. Like McDonald's tells you that it's McChicken for a dollar and they lose money on it, but they're hoping you buy like uh, a soda or fries. It's their loss leader, right? Yeah, they're loss leader. So they're going to get you in the door on this. So I've actually invested in both of those free or zero fee mutual funds because it's actually, that's the only case I found where it's cheaper to buy a mutual fund than an ETF. And which ones are those? I'll write that down. Uh, Okay, I'd have to look it up. But I think one's like FCILX. And one okay. is, I forget what the other one's called, but one's all domestic U.S. stocks. Other all, is all international stock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can find a company that's willing to lose money to provide a mutual fund for you, then by all means, I would go for a mutual fund. But that's usually not the case. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's see here um what about uh hiring a money manager financial advisors what do you think about that well okay i think it's i get I think that asked a lot too yeah so i think if someone you like, worked in the space yeah well now i've never really been amongst financial advisors or money managers but i do work with like market risk right? okay so, um so i would say like for really wealthy people it might make sense to do that because for like tax purposes and right. like tax strategies with investing and all sorts of stuff but i think for most like people like most millennials right. you're going to end up with more money at the end of the day if you just invest in etfs and you like hire some financial advisor who's going to charge you i don't know two percent of your annual portfolio value to just put your money into etfs for you which is what a lot of them actually do yep mm-hmm could you explain, you know, the difference for, you know, viewers, uh, mutual fund versus ETFs? You know, I know we talked about the distinction kind of as far as fees, but, you know, kind of the structure. Yeah. Okay. Mutual funds versus ETFs. So with, with mutual funds, basically they trade only at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. So when you place an order, when the market's open, it's going to execute at the end of the day, whatever Typically the price is. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't, um, trade intraday. 
yeah trade intraday but also so i mean maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think mutual funds also have like a similar kind of expense ratio quality as a as an etf yeah but typically are just priced higher i don't maybe you're more familiar with they tend to be a little bit uh, a little bit higher just because mutual most mutual funds at least in theory were kind of stem from that active management piece you see a lot mm-hmm. more actively managed mutual funds yeah um, but there are passively managed mutual funds as well mm-hmm. um, but with ETFs generally speaking I don't know if generally speaking they're usually tracking an index either replicating or stratified. I mean, what have you found? I mean, there's a few active ETFs, but not really. Yeah, almost every ETF that I've seen is uh, passively managed. And I don't actually invest in any actively managed ETFs because, I mean, the whole reason I'm investing in ETFs in the first place is the low cost. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was looking at one actively managed ETF. It's like, someone asked me about it, ARC. It's like a huh. disruptive technology. So to invest in like, you know, your Tesla and all okay. that. Kinda, <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the fee was 75 basis points. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's a, a mutual fund. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've seen that too. Like these active ETFs are like around 1%, which at that point they're getting closer to mutual fund or having a financial advisor or something. And the tax implications too. I think a lot of people hey, talk about the tax implications of ETFs. You know, mm-hmm. because some of them like that one I was talking about, the, the turnover was 80%. So I think a lot of people that invest in it just don't understand, you know, how, how much exposure they have to capital gains on an annual basis. So maybe I'm woefully misinformed on this. Yeah. <laughs> but so I've always thought with ETFs, it's like when you, when you, uh, it goes by when you buy and sell the ETF. So if you buy yep. it and sell it within a year, yep. then I would think you'd be exposed to short-term capital gains. If you yep. buy it, hold it, and sell it after a year, then yep. you would be exposed to long-term capital gains. But and the same with dividends too. So most of the time, dividends are um, usually considered qualified. So you're going to get that, that more tax-efficient mm-hmm. rate than, say, your interest or ordinary income mm-hmm. tax rate. So that's at least the theory. Okay, but are you saying based on like the turnover within the ETF, then you'd have different right, yep. like, tax implications for mm-hmm. certain ETFs? Yep. So how does how does that uh, work? So for like something like ARC, mm-hmm. I know I was reading about it. It was you know with a turnover ratio of eighty percent, it basically calculates the capital gains exposure of that fund, and then you as an investor in that ETF, come come tax time, the tax man will you know, kind of, you know, really hits you hard with the short term. So, so you, I, uh, I wonder if, so that wouldn't be like, okay. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's definitely something to consider. I need to do more research on that topic for sure. <laughs> and it also, it also how the ETF is identified too. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain how they, um, they, they identify the, the purpose of the fund is what gets them into certain qualified statuses if that makes okay. sense yeah interesting okay mm-hmm. yeah that, that's something i'll have to do more research on have you have you ever or i guess you only had one episode but you didn't cover like different kinds of accounts right like tax protected accounts like roth ira and i haven't yet HSA, um so. i know i just dropped another episode yesterday um but no not yet i was going to mm-hmm. um do you want to talk a little bit about that well, I think that's something that most people have, like most people I've talked to have never heard about or really been explained like what a Roth IRA is and, yeah. and how just important it is. Right. And so I guess I'll just talk about a Roth IRA. So like everybody out there who's like investing in Robinhood and whatnot, but in your brokerage, but you never have heard of a Roth IRA, you might want to consider diverting some of your money. Because a Roth IRA, you can put $6,000 in per year, I think, as long as your income is under, I believe, like $140,000 a year. Yeah, it's somewhere in that mid $100,000 range for a single. Yeah, yes. Yes. So you put $6,000 in there, and then basically it is tax free. So as it grows, it's a tax free investment. The interest is tax free, but there's a couple right. caveats. Because you've already paid the taxes on the money you're. 
contributing to the account, right? Exactly. So you already, you already, you know, it's cash you already have. So you paid those taxes at some point when you earned it. Yep. But so there's a couple of caveats. So you can't actually take the interest you earn out until you're, I think, 59. So, 59 and a half, right? Yeah. Yep. So let's, let's put it like this. Like, let's say you put 10,000 in this Roth IRA, it grows to 12,000. Yeah. At any time, you should be able to take out the 10,000 that you originally put in the Roth IRA, but you'll just have to wait to take out that last 2000 till you're right. 59. Unless mm -hmm. you're a first time home buyer, then you can take it out for that purpose. Yes. Mm -hmm. But just the, you know, I don't know if you're millennial investing, uh, 30, 40 years of tax free growth is just substantial. I mean, right. And I mean, you know, the theory, mm -hmm. you know, if you're starting out as an investor, Roth IRA is probably the way to go because the current tax bracket you're in now is most likely going to be far lower than where you're going to end up when you retire. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, so you exactly. Might as well pay the taxes now. Yeah, exactly. Cause you're, when you're, I don't know, 30, 40 years into your career, hopefully you've gained skills by that time that you're sure. earning far more than now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the theory. I mean, it's a theory that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> and it's also one of those, I think the Roth IRA is the way to go because even with 401ks, there's a mandatory, um, you know, you have to take distributions at 70 and a half, but mm -hmm. Roth or IRA, you can kind of view it as a nest egg where you don't actually have to touch it. Oh yeah. So a lot of people mm -hmm. actually kind of use that as a wealth transfer. You can escape a lot of um, estate taxes and things of that nature mm -hmm. by using an IRA to uh, pass wealth down as you die. A lot yes. of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. So that that's definitely something to consider. Like you might have so much money in your account by the time you retire, you don't want to be forced to, you know, start taking it out at a certain yeah. time mm -hmm. and then use it to transfer wealth. So that's probably not what most millennials are thinking about. They're not thinking about <laughs> like, yeah. oh, how do I get the most money to my grandkids after that? <laughs> <laughs> but how do you open up a Roth IRA? Pretty easy. Oh right? yeah, super easy. You fill out like one form with any, you know, Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard. I think all of them should offer. Uh, yeah, some sort of. So for a new one. investor, what do you what do you think? Open up a traditional brokerage to start, or Roth IRA? Mm, no. Well, okay. No, I definitely go brokerage. So here's the order that I that I suggest typically yeah. when people ask me is so if you work for a company that has a 401k and they match the 401k. I go do it match the 401k. That's step number one. Most important thing, you know, don't leave money on the table. And then right. step number two, I say uh, Roth IRA, right? Because the things that I outlined earlier, you know, you or can tax, you know, more benefit tax know? benefits and you can still take out all that money you put in there. You just can't take out the interest earned. Right. So, and people also don't understand that you can contribute to a 401k and an IRA. They're two different contribution limits. So you can, yeah, you can hit both. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I would say uh, step number three after that is a lot of people aren't familiar with this, but an HSA, so health savings account. So yeah. a lot of companies offer these. And then basically this is like double tax benefits. It's yeah. it goes straight from your paycheck. You don't pay any income tax on it. It goes straight into this account and then you invest it in index funds essentially in there. Yep. And then it grows at interest tax free as well. But the caveat is you have to spend it on like medical expenses, dental expenses, like any sort of products that relate to either of those things. Right. But I mean, a lot of people like you might spend a few thousand dollars on those things in a year. So it makes sense to put that sure. money in and not pay any tax on it. You know, I get this question a lot, you know, let's say, most people out there that want to start investing, usually they're going to open up for traditional brokerage and mm -hmm. you can't really stop them from doing that. And they tell me, you know, there's just so much information out there. What do I do with my first you know, thousand bucks? You know, what's your advice for that? Oh, oh what, do you do? what do you do? I'd probably tell them to buy like a thousand dollars of an S&P 500 ETF, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> what would you tell them? I would probably do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you want to be a little bit more sophisticated, you could get into maybe um, a strategy where you're investing maybe into different capitalizations. So yeah. like right now, this year, I, 
I don't know, large caps killed it. Mm-hmm. They were the outperformer by yes. far. Yes. And a lot of people would have probably said the opposite, mm-hmm. like, you know, especially also like with, I mean, for me initially, I would have thought it would have been, you know, your value stocks, you know, really outperform or mm-hmm. even, you know, especially post COVID, like your uh, smaller mid cap, but it hasn't been that. It's been yeah. your large cap. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just these huge companies just dominating and based on the circumstances, right? Like Amazon and right. Apple just dragging up the S and P 500 by themselves. For the you think they, part. you know, you think, invest you think that was propped up by retail right your robin hood option traders i read a lot of interesting articles mm. that it could have been propped up by that or do you think institutions were finding safe havens and you know equities when usually equities aren't a safe haven but you know now it, it seemed like large cap tech stocks were the place to sink your money yeah so i think robin hood investors really like drove up like uh tesla for example it really did but I think, I mean, for Amazon and Apple and some of these other big companies, I think, I, I wouldn't think it's just Robinhood. I mean, Amazon, like every brick and mortar store had just shut down for a few months and everybody bought their products on Amazon. And so yeah. I guess there's some logical reasons why that stock would perform that way. But also you said like institutions treating um equities or these large cap tech companies is like a safe haven yeah i mean that would make sense too because like yields so what would typically be your safe haven right would be like bonds fixed income and yields are almost zero at this point zero i mean it's like apparently the curve's supposed to steepen at some point Mm -hmm. um but yeah no it's been flat i mean it has been flat flat yeah, I mean, and even for even for companies that have been rated like, I don't know, like double B, like they might be a, near the junk bond classification. They've been able to borrow at like 2%, yeah. 2% rates. So you, you could either buy equity or invest in like a near junk bond for 2%. Right, I mean, for 2%. Yeah, so it doesn't really make that much sense as to... Yeah, they couldn't find hedges. You know, I just mm-hmm. feel like institutions couldn't find a hedge during COVID, so... Mm-hmm. You know, commodities were all over the place. So where are you going to go? You're just going to go big tech, I guess. Yeah, I guess it was the safest thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it worked out for a lot of people on Robinhood who had their whole portfolios in big in tech. Tesla, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so they look smart now. I mean, <laughs> they really do. It's a bit surprising, but. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you know, those Robinhood investors that <clears> – <throat> you know, made it, made it big on Tesla. I think that will give them the wrong idea on how investing really works. Oh yeah. You know, cause that's certainly more of a speculation play. I think it might be a rude awakening when, because I mean, anyone can make money when, when there's a, you know, a rally post, you know, something like COVID mm-hmm. when everything's going up, it's, you know, I don't think it's someone's innate ability in picking stocks. Yeah, like you think a lot of people who made it, maybe were in on Tesla early, will this will kind of give them, yeah, um, you know, ego to think, ego. oh, I, I'm a master stock picker now for yeah. the, for the next time. And then, That's my theory. Yeah, <laughs> it might it might happen. It's funny because I I know uh, someone who's invested in Tesla right now. Yep. And even he is like, oh, I know this is a bubble. I just don't know when this bubble is going to burst. So I want to ride this bubble up, you know, a little bit longer. And so I think there's a lot of people like that who, right. At least with regards to Tesla, like they know it's a bubble, but they think they just want to ride this bubble up for a while longer. Right. And that kind of segues into one of the big reasons why people get into ETFs is to kind of avoid this idea of market timing. So what do you think about that? You know, all these new investors really trying to, find you know what's hot and what's not you know yeah so for for that i always tell people like i like this saying um time in the market beats timing the market right ah, because I, I believe that i preach that too <laughs> yeah especially if like you're you know you're just like an everyday person and you're not like you're it's not your full-time job to study markets or watch markets like right it's not gonna it's you're not going to be able to time the market typically better than the professionals that's on the other side of your trade, right. you know? So 
I, I just don't know why people think that they have like this view of like how the world is or the economy, but they're probably not, if, if you're not, um, I don't know, a lot of these institutions on the other side of the trade, like that's what they do all day. They study this stuff. They're naive, mm -hmm. right? They don't understand, you know, how the markets are really run. You know, those institutions have a lot of, uh, a lot of power over on the other side of those trades. Yes. Yes. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's just, I mean, it's very like, it's human nature, right? Like, oh, right. I have like this bad feeling and I, you know, but it's, it's human nature to be like, I have this bad feeling. Let me act on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so what about, like, um, mm -hmm. no, I was looking at your website and you built an ETF optimizer, you know, kind of explain that a little bit. Yeah. So basically a lot of people, like when people come and ask me what they should do with their money, I basically always tell people ETFs. And then the next logical question is like, oh, well, what ETFs? You know, I have like $5,000 or I have $10,000 and I don't know what to put them in. And so I basically just took it upon myself to build this tool where someone could put in um, like how long they're looking to invest for. So right. the longer you're looking to invest, um, the more risk you're willing to take. So like the sure. more willing you'd be to put in equities rather yep. than like bonds or real estate, et cetera. And then um, also you can specify your risk tolerance and how much money you're going to invest. And then the algorithm that I wrote will basically display a portfolio that fits the inputs that you put in. Okay. And so this is also, this is at portfolioconstructs.com. Uh, yep. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. I'll put some links in. Yeah, yeah that'd absolutely. be good. And yeah, so it was just kind of a passion project of mine, like we're, you know, programming interacts with finance and areas that I'm interested. But yeah, so it's basically what I'll, I'll tell you like a little bit behind the scenes. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm curious what model you use behind it. Yeah, so, so essentially, I use this like algorithm to score portfolios. So it'll basically make like 100 portfolios. And okay. then yeah, somewhat randomly. Is it like Monte Carlo? Or are you doing MBO? What are you doing? I guess you could think of it as a Monte Carlo with only a hundred simulations. Okay. So basically I only have, so there's like 2,300 ETFs that exist, but I'm only pulling in about a hundred ETFs into the model based on like number, like a certain number of factors, like, okay. like market capitalization, gotcha, expense gotcha. ratios. Uh, but do you look at the whole, you know, 2,300? Yes. So okay. then, so it looks at all 2,300. But and then, then, and then, like if gotcha. expense ratio is above a certain amount for a certain type of asset, then it's out. If it doesn't have oh. a certain market cap, then it's out. Like these kind of things. Okay. So then you're just sitting left with like you know like the what I kind of determined to be like the hundred best ETFs. Right. And then based on that, so when you put in those inputs, like this is my time horizon. This is my, um, this is my risk tolerance. It'll say. I have an algorithm that's like, okay, based on that, then this person's going to want 75% equity, 15% uh, bonds and like 10% real estate or something. Sure. Something like that. And then, so it'll build a hundred portfolios that meet that those percentages and then score all 100 and choose the best one and present it to the person. Okay. Do you use yeah. it yourself personally? Have you kind of mirrored your allocation off that or? Well, yeah, so my whole portfolio is already built. So I haven't, I haven't done that. Um, that. That would be a good thing for me to practice what I preach, right? Oh, sell, no, yeah. sell everything I have and then no. <laughs> run it. <laughs> yeah, that's good though. That exact way. Yeah, that's funny. So, I mean, so for me, because I know so much about ETFs and I have all these like specific preferences on which ones I like, it wouldn't necessarily make sense for me to build my portfolio this way. But sure. it would be more for like people who don't really Getting know anything about ETFs. Wet. Yeah, just want like a quick solution yeah. uh, that fits like their preferences. What do you recommend? I always get this question a lot. Where, where do you do your research? Where do you, you, do you just do in-house in your brokerage or do you go to another newspaper or financial website? What do you like to use? You, um, are you talking about just like for ETF specifically? ETF specifically or any kind of market any, commentary? I guess it's Oh, for market question. commentary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I'm actually like looking at a specific security or an ETF, I use my brokerage, which is Fidelity. Yeah. I actually made a, a video on that, just like my process of what I look through. It's on my YouTube channel, Portfolio Constructs, by the way. Okay. 
Um, yeah. That's just kind of what I look at when I'm doing that. But also for market commentary, like if I just want to stay updated on what's going on in the market, then I read uh, the Wall Street Journal. Yep. But if you want like a free version, uh, Bloomberg is kind of acts like a free version of Wall Street Journal. Yeah. What about you? What, what that's you that's what I do. I um, typically my investment process is I'll just stay up to date using Wall Street Journal for mm-hmm. market commentary. Yeah. I typically like to start. I guess you could say my approach is like top down, right? So I'll I'll look at sectors, and with mm-hmm. that market commentary, I'll kind of get an idea of what sectors. I want to allocate to. And then from mm-hmm. there, I'll take that information and use my brokerage service to kind of scan the ETF, so to speak. Um, yeah. In that absolutely. sector. And I think that's my approach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a good approach. Like you get your general view of how you feel about the market and then you go and dig into the individual ETF. Yeah. That's probably the right way to do it, like a top down. Probably for most people watching this, you don't want to spend $30 a month on Wall Street Journal, but there are some free, like, imitation kind of uh, publications. Yeah, you got, like, you know what, Mm marketwatch.com. That's a pretty decent one. Um, Yeah. I don't know, Seeking Alpha, or is that not Seeking Alpha. I think that's free. And Bloomberg is free, or at least it used to be. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't Mm -hmm. used that in a while. I, I used to as an alternative. So yeah, there's plenty of places to find your news on this stuff. But also like the beauty of ETFs is that if you're just an everyday person, millennial investor listening to this podcast, like you probably don't really need to keep up with the market. That's a, that's like largely the point of sure. or saying, you know, time in the market beats timing in the market. Buy your get your diversified portfolio in ETFs and then you can generally not pay attention to it. Right. What do you think uh, for those, you know, some are still going to want to kind of explore that company specific investing. What would you recommend to those people, you know, still hold some ETFs, right? And allocate a portion. I think that's what I would preach. Yeah. So actually, you know, one of my smartest finance friends who, you know, he worked on Wall Street for like 10 years. He was telling me, He's like, yeah, after you have like a certain amount of your portfolio in ETFs, I don't think he gave the percentage, but let's say the vast majority of your portfolios in ETFs, then you've really reduced almost all the company specific risk out of your portfolio, then feel free to play around with some, you know, individual company stocks. If if that's what you enjoy doing or you feel really good about a particular company. But build Mm -hmm. that good base portfolio. That's what I think too. Yeah, exactly. What, um, I know we talked a lot about equities and, other bond ETFs. Are there any other asset classes that you think um, new investors might include? Oh, besides equities and bonds? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's a few. So so real estate can be good. So maybe you're familiar with REITs. Well, maybe you should talk about that because like you're the real estate guy here. (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people just want to stick to bonds and equities, mm-hmm. but they kind of ignore the other asset classes out mm-hmm. there. And I think real estate is really one of those. I'll talk a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. REITs, you know, they're a lot of it's income driven, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, but, and it's also like an inflation hedge, right? So like, you know, right now, right now during COVID, especially single family residential has been one of the best performing asset classes of uh, 2020. Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of, you know, in theory, you know, it's a pretty good hedge to inflation. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, I think, should be uh, belong in anyone's ETF portfolio for sure yeah. at all times of the market as well. Yeah, and just to get some diversification, even if it's only like, you know, 5 to 15% of your portfolio, just to have it right. to diversify the other asset classes like equity and bonds. I also think like just with how low inflation is, you know, as inflation is most likely going to come up, I hope, <laughs> uh, you know, with the, the, the steepening of the curve, I think that'll even yeah. you know, more positively affect real estate prices, you know, in the near, mm-hmm. to, near to midterm for sure. Yeah, that, that's a good way to look at it. And, and one other asset class that I think people could include, which I also include in my portfolio is commodities. So like you can get, you can buy ETFs in gold or silver or even like oil and steel, mm-hmm. these kind of things. So, um, and like when you buy an ETF in gold, like uh, IAU or GLD, kind of what happens is 
the issuer has almost like I think like a vault of gold, and then you buy like like let's say vault like let's say an ounce of gold is like seventeen hundred dollars. You can spend seventeen hundred dollars on this ETF, and then you kind of you basically own an ounce of gold, and then they charge you like point two six percent a year just for like the service of like keeping it the in storage. A for you. Yeah. So so you're telling me these ET you know these uh these ETF companies that have a fund for gold they actually store the gold themselves. So I think it depends. Like, so I know wow. GLD and IAU, like the iShares and, and the main one, GLD, they do that. They do that. I think some oh. of them don't actually store the gold. They just have the, the gold certificates or what have you. Yeah. Some of the smaller ones, I think. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's interesting, but yeah. So gold is like a good potential portfolio diversifier because usually when the economy tanks, like gold either stays like stable or it goes up as people use it to diversify or run from stocks as they're falling. So you could just use it to offset um, stocks. But in the same vein, like when the stock market's going up, usually gold is not going up. So you're kind of right. missing out. Mm-hmm. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun making it. It's raw and unedited. I know it's a little longer than the typical episodes that I like to keep to 20, 25 minutes. But there's just a lot of good raw information to pick up on. Ryan O'Connell is a CFA charter holder. So he's, he's got a lot of knowledge. He works in the field too. So when you're listening for advice and, and researching the market, it's really important to, to follow people who have that institutional experience as well. You know, oftentimes I'll see content creators, they don't, they haven't worked in the field of finance. They haven't worked on the institutional side. And someone like Ryan or myself who have had experience working for large banks, it's really important to get that perspective as well. Because those people that have that true institutional experience really understand markets. I would argue in just a more nuanced way just because we know the ins and outs we see both sides of the business as far as from the retail individual perspective but also from the institutional side and the decisions and motivations behind you know that field of work as well so i really hope you guys picked up on a lot of good stuff in this podcast make sure you check out ryan o'connell's channel at portfolio constructs i'm sure i'll be working with him and collaborating with him in the future, please let me know uh, your feedback. And if there's anything you want more clarity on that we discussed in this episode, feel free to shoot it my way and I'll cover it um, in a future episode. Appreciate it, guys. As always, thanks for tuning in and I look forward to next week's podcast. Stay hungry, guys. (laughs) 